Check it. Yes. Hey, guys. Oh, oh thanks, Samuel. <laughs> Welcome to Oasis. Um, have you guys ever been compared to a celebrity? And here's what I mean by that. I've heard once in my life that everyone has like a celebrity lookalike. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that. Like I've heard that if you really think about it, if you take the time to look, it's like everyone kind of has a celebrity lookalike. When I was growing up, I, in three different occasions in my life, was told that I looked like a certain celebrity. Now, I never noticed it. Some of it was kind of hairstyle at the time, like the difference between my hairstyle and this certain celebrity's hairstyle. But over a span of like seven years from my sophomore year in high school until I was like, however seven years is after that, 23, three different times from three different people in three different places, like towns, Brookings, Minneapolis, and Watertown. It's like three different times. Like, okay, so I had to like do some, not a little bit of research, but I, I had to dig a little more. It's like, what are they seeing that I just don't see? And all of a sudden I found some pictures. And as I found some pictures, I also like put these pictures side by side. I was like, okay, I can see it a little bit. But then the problem became is like, once I saw the pictures and thought I kind of looked like this person, I wanted to be that person. I don't know if, you, if it has you. Why don't you throw up that first picture? I think it's a close resemblance. <laughs> Dude, I'm not kidding. Three different times someone said I look like Justin Timberlake. I'm not joking. I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying these are the conversations I've had with people. Obvious resemblance. This was my sophomore year in college when I was on a Honduras uh, mission trip. It's close. <laughs> okay, go to the next pic. Go to the next pic. I think it's... <laughs> You can make anything look a little bit like anything if you have the right features. I'm just going to say that. Um, I mean, JT, legitimately one of my favorite celebrities. Great voice. He had it all. He was easily the best vocalist in any of the boy bands. I'm not going to debate it, so don't try me. No, not Nick Lachey. No, not any of the other five Backstreet Boys. No, not Lance Bass. It was Justin Timberlake. Period. Great vocalist. Then he went on to and have a single career. And he came out with an album called Mirrors that was just bomb. It was so good. And he dedicated some of those songs and literally wrote some of those songs for his wife. And they were just so good. And, and in me, thinking that I look a little bit like Justin Timberlake, because three other people in my life have told me I look like Justin Timberlake, thought, I, I can see the similarities now, not just in looks. I, I get it, okay? I'm not him. It's not really that close. He looks beautiful. I look like a white supremacist. It's not great. I get it, okay? This was a year ago. I was depressed, and I literally forced my family to come into church because I needed to get outside, and it just wasn't a good day. doesn't matter. But then all of a sudden, I started comparing a little bit more of like my life versus Justin Timberlake's life. You can get away from the pictures. It's just gonna, I'm going to keep coming back to it. I just go to a blank side or something. <laughs> But it's like, well, I like to sing. Maybe I sing like JT. No. He's smooth and it's good and I just scream. Like, it's just, that's just real. Every time I leave worship, it's like I have no voice the next three days because I'm just screaming up here. And so then I'm just starting to compare other things. And then it's, it's, it goes from like this fun little game of like, oh man, I kind of look like him. Yeah, he says his awesome life. I do like my life a lot. But then it's like, all of a sudden, like, not just comparison started creeping in. 
all of a sudden, what started to creep in is this reality of envy and this sin and this vice and this struggle of, man, now, now I not only think I, like, maybe kind of like, I actually want to be like him. And there's some aspects of my life that I actually want to be a great vocalist. Like, it's unfair that not only someone can look like that, but sing like that, that has all the money and has all the things. And I struggled. And it was weird. All because three people told me I may have looked like, I don't know how they saw it. I don't know. Because if you look early, I'm just, I can't get rid of it. If you look early on in his life, do you see the hair he had when, when he was with NSYNC? The curly blonde weirdness? No one? Is that just me? Am I, am I dating myself a little bit right now? <laughs> Look it up. It looks horrible. I'm not joking. It's hilarious. He has a mop on his head. Just kidding. He's always been beautiful. <laughs> but I just became envious of this man. And I'm not, I just, like, it was weird. So we're in our Bridge to Becoming series. And I get to talk to you this vice of envy. Every single one of us struggles with envy. At one point in our life, we will struggle with this reality and this vice of envy. And Jesus, who gave us many teachings, we have the word of God that I'm thankful for, gives us a parable on what envy kind of looks like, on what this vice, this nastiness, this sin of envy looks like. So if you have your Bible, if you have a phone, open up to Matthew 20, and we're going to read this. And this is a parable given to us that helps us a little bit understand, okay, what is envy? Chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. And then about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and at about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? They said, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And then when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were, who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. And something that we have to get about this parable, this is not a parable on business. This is not a parable on how you, uh, uh, an owner of a company should specifically pay their workers. This is not a parable for us to figure out and understand what is fair, what is not fair. This is a parable about the kingdom of God. What happens is that, and this is how Jesus just teaches and he's brilliant at, at it, is he teaches and, and tells a story in a way that focuses 
on such the negative reality and aspect of what's happening in the story and not on what God is trying to do. And so he teaches in these parables and sometimes they're confusing and then in some of the times he actually says that those who have ears, let them hear. This parable is not about business. This parable is about the kingdom of God. This parable is about a God who provides for everyone. This parable is about a God who knows what we need. This parable is about a God who fulfills his promises. This parable is about a God whose love is outrageous if we can see it, if we can look through what Jesus is trying to teach. You see, God loves, God's love surpasses, yes, understanding, but it surpasses a love that we tend to love with. You see, our kind of love, the way we live our life, is a way that we think that, okay, things got to be fair. So our love is calculating. And because our love is calculating, we tend to compare. And so what we look at is other people's lives and we compare what we ought to get and what they ought to get, not just financially, but in every aspect of life. But that's not how God works. All of us struggle with the vice of envy. So what is envy? If you look at it in the Webster's Dictionary, if you look it up, there's a couple different definitions. And as I was reading it, I kind of combined two aspects <laughs> of what the dictionary talked about and just the reality of, of what scripture teaches on envy and how we tend to live our life and how we struggle with, with this vice. And there's two different elements. The first element is this element of desire, right? We see someone in life who has benefited somehow, who has an advantage in some certain way. And so then we desire that specific benefit or that advantage that seemed to make their life better because we think that will make our life better. But it's not, just having a desire is not envy because you can desire, desire good things, amen? Give me something, a little amen. Can we desire good things, right? Can I be an imitator of God? Can I say I want to imitate Jesus in every, I desire to imitate Jesus in every, that's a good desire. There are good desires. Where it becomes envy is the second element, it's when this desire is paired with this like resentment and dissatisfaction that it's going well for the other person and it's not going well for me. That they got this advantage that I desire and because now I don't have that, things are going well, therefore I'm disgruntled and I'm dissatisfied. So envy ultimately is this. Envy is a combination of a desire for something with the disgruntlement that another one is enjoying it and you are not. Envy is a combination of I desire that thing, I want what that person has, but also combined with this resentment, disgruntlement and dissatisfaction that they're actually enjoying that thing that I don't have. Therefore, I'm missing out. Therefore, there's something wrong with this picture. Envy wants even to the point of others having less, even if that means we also have less and it hurts us a, us, a, us a little bit. Anybody have siblings? Raise your hand if you got a sibling or two or 17. Some of y'all got some big families in here. I'm just gonna say that. I got a younger sister, one younger sister. That's all my parents could handle and I don't blame them. It was me and my younger sister. And we both were not great people. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Like, we struggled with life. Like, there were things where we were just, like, not great children to our parents. 
I, as the elder sibling, was able to kind of, not meander, but like finagle in a way to hide some of like the huge failures that I had done. So my parents either wouldn't find out or I wouldn't get in trouble. Basically, I was super sneaky. So like I I lived a life in a way that was absolutely not what I was supposed to be doing in life, but I never really got caught because they never found out about it. I was like destroying myself, but they never really found out. My sister was less tactful, is how I think I want to put it. She didn't care if anyone knew about what was going on in her life. She didn't care if she got caught. She didn't care about the consequences. And me, as I'm looking at my parents, not like me and my sister are legit. We grew to be best friends because we were experiencing the same things in life. But she didn't care. And there's something that in me that like was frustrated about it and like legitimately envious that my sister, and here's why, it's, it's she literally did whatever she wanted and I did too. I just was sneaky so that I wouldn't get caught and get in trouble because I thought there were going to be these huge consequences. Where my sister, when she'd get caught, I'm thinking, all right, here comes the hammer. You're done. Good luck seeing your friends for the next month. And she would I get, what's it called? What's the thing called? Here, Charles, I just had the brain fart. Thank you. She'd get grounded. Shouldn't be that hard of a word. She'd legitimately get grounded. They'd say, all right, you're grounded for two weeks. I'm like, ha ha, done. And then the very next day, she'd be out doing whatever she wants. And I was like, how is this okay? I literally one time went to my mom and said, how is this all right? And I literally said this phrase, you know this phrase, if you know it, it's like, that's not, that's not fair. What the garbage? I was so mad. I didn't say garbage at the time. I said a different word. But I don't say that stuff no more because Jesus. (laughs) I love him. But I was like, this isn't fair. What happens in our envy is that we actually don't come to this foundation we need to come to that actually thinking life is fair or equal is 100% wrong. But we want to live our life like it's fair. Everything should be equal. And it's not. The envious person lives like everything is fair, like everything is equal. And when we do that, when we live like everything is fair or everything is equal, and we don't get the baseline of understanding that it's not, we'll be eaten alive by envy. It's not just in sibling stuff, though, right? Envy happens when we see someone like Justin Timberlake on the screen and I know I don't look like him, but I want to. Right? It's in the relationship of my friend who now just got engaged, but I know how they live. And I get frustrated. And it's, I'm not just envious because I want that relationship that I desired so much, but now you've actually allowed someone to have a relationship and they don't live the way that I live. I see what they do on the weekend. I see the actions that they do. I see how they're living in sin. God, I've been faithful to you and I don't have this relationship. It's not fair. Maybe it's in a family member who's struggling with their health. Consistently, in and out of hospital, something is wrong all the time and we're fighting and we're praying and we're desiring healing and we want restoration for this family member and I see these other people my friends who I love and those that I don't even know who never struggle with health issues in their life maybe if you're like me 
you are a part of a ministry like this or a church, and not even a pastor or a leader or even a volunteer, you just are a part of it. And you love and desire Jesus so much that you're a part of this community of people and, and you're not seeing growth. Or there's minimal movement. And then there's frustration and, and all of a sudden I see this other church that's going well. There's other ministry that seems like it's going well. God, is not fair. We're being faithful. We love you. We're inviting people. Or maybe you've prayed for years for your friend or family member to know Jesus. And you see no movement. But you continually hear stories of those in the church, of even friends, of family members' lives being saved. And you wrestle and you struggle because, God, I've been praying. God, I know you love them more than I love them. It's not fair. Envy leads us to a place of despair and has the ability to kill us if we rest on the foundation that we think life is fair or equal. We put expectations and plans on a father whose thoughts are actually higher than our thoughts, whose ways are higher than our ways. As we look at the parable, and in Matthew 20, there are some characteristics of envy. I'm gonna go through these real quick, I hope. <laughs> and I've said a little bit of this. The first characteristic of envy is, and this is almost more of a progression than even a characteristic, is comparison. We like to compare. There's a study that actually came out from University of California. And it said, weirdly enough, that envy and comparison actually happens mostly gender to gender. It almost, I can't say never, and it's not universal, but the majority of the time it's gender to gender. It's men are envious or comparing themselves to other men. Women are envious or comparing themselves to other women. Even in the workplace, they found it wasn't women who were comparing and envious of men and their salaries. That happens, and there is an unfair reality in that. But the majority during this study, what they found is that women are actually comparing themselves to other women. When it comes to young adults, the study found that we're more like, and I'm saying we're, so just deal with it. We're more likely to be envious over looks, Justin Timberlake, <laughs> and romance, along with school and social success. For example, they said romance was the source of envy among nearly 50% of people younger than 30 compared with 15% of those older than 50. Teddy Roosevelt once said that comparison is the thief of joy. And I think there's some truth to that, but I actually want to take it a step further. I think comparison becomes a thief of joy because what happens in comparison is we're taking what's equal, what's alike, and we're seeing where we match. And what we do in the next process is we actually contrast which is to look at where are we different and that's where resentment comes in and that's where dissatisfaction comes in. So if comparison is the thief of joy, I think contrast is the enemy of contentment. It's not enough. I'm always dissatisfied because I see how I'm different than that person. We compare and we contrast. The second thing that we see in this parable is that they grumbled to the landowner. They complained. Envy is known by its complaining. And not only in this parable, but literally a few verses later, if you see in Matthew 20, starting in verse 20, John and James' mother comes to Jesus. And she has this request. And she says, Jesus, 
eventually, one day when you're sitting on your throne in heaven, will you let my one son sit on your left-hand side and my other son sit on your right-hand side? And the other 10 disciples heard this. And it says they were indignant. They were grumbling. They were frustrated. Because who is this mom saying that she thinks these two guys are better than us, that they get to sit on the right or left hand of God? And all of a sudden, the disciples started comparing themselves to James and John. And Jesus being Jesus, shut it down immediately. But what we do is we push into wanting to complain. Comparison leads to complaining. And this kind of complaining, this kind of grumbling leads us then to blindness, the third characteristic. The envious person, in reality, every single one of us actually, has abilities and assets. We have talents and treasures, but envy keeps us blind to those realities. This is, we assume the grass is greener on the other side. And so it's blindness to the goodness and provision of God in our life. It's blindness to recognizing what God is doing, how he's gifted us, how he's provided, the promises that he's made that are reality. But it's also blindness in the other person's situation. It's blindness in we never actually see the full lawn and the full scope of what's happening on the other side of the fence. We think the grass is always greener, but we don't know the battle that our neighbor is having. We don't know the probably frustrating relationship that he may have with his family because he's taking too much time caring for the lawn. Envy, when we compare, leads to complaining, which leads us blind to what God is doing in us and leads us blind to what's happening in the life of the person we envy. We don't know their battles. We don't know their struggles. We don't know their hardships. And believe us, we have them all. It leads us blind, and therefore blindness immediately runs into being sad. Envy creates a soul sadness. No longer is there thankfulness. No longer is there joy. No longer do we have gratitude. No longer are we entering every moment in praise and thanksgiving for who God is and what he's done in our life. Because the reality is, how can you be thankful when all you are aware of is what you think you don't have? The envious person struggles with every aspect of this and it leads to the soul sadness. It leads to this reality that envy produces a sorrow over another's good and happiness over another's sorrow. We see this with Joseph in Genesis and his brothers. The brothers becoming envious of him because he said he had a dream and he was gonna rule over them and they were envious to the point of they sold him off to slavery because their father affirmed the dream that Joseph had. We see this envy reality, this sorrow over, over another person's success with the Pharisees handing over Jesus to Pilate. They were losing their influence. They were losing their power. They were sorrowful because someone else had a voice amongst the people. Envy is the quiet sabotage of another to make them unsuccessful. It's the resentment and vilification of the rich even though we've never met them. It's the satisfactions felt when something bad happens to someone who seemingly had it all together. You struggle with envy. Are you satisfied when a friend or an enemy has something terrible go on in their life? 
So how are we (laughs) to displace envy? The Bible tells us we displace envy with kindness. This is our virtue we are to pursue. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Here's what kindness is. It's a supernaturally generous orientation of our heart toward other people. And that happens even when they don't deserve it or reciprocate it. It's no, I'm gonna be generous with my heart, with my emotions, with my questions toward them. I'm gonna be kind toward them, even if they don't deserve it, and even if they can't reciprocate it. Pastor Aaron preached a sermon this morning, um, and he knew he was preaching this thing like six months ago. I found out technically last week that we were gonna do envy. This is when we decided to do envy. And he preached this quote, and he said this quote that was so good that I'm gonna say this. It's not on the screen, so just try to listen. It says this, the man beside us, our neighbor, also has a hard fight with an unfavoring world. He has struggles with strong temptations, with doubts and fears, with wounds of the past which have skinned over, but which smart when they are touched. It is a fact, even if it's surprising, that he struggles. And when this occurs to us, when it occurs to us that our neighbor is struggling, the one we are envying actually has their own battle and temptation and frustration, when it actually occurs to us we are moved to deal kindly with him, to bid him of good cheer, to let him understand that we are also fighting a battle. We are bound not to irritate him nor press hardly upon him. This was from a man named Reverend John Watson. And I love that. When we can actually recognize and have this reality that other people are struggling, that other people are fighting. It moves us because we can relate to want to deal kindly with them. And here are four quick characteristics of kindness. One, you move then from envious being comparison to kindness being gratefulness. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So it moves and recognizes that, ah, I'm actually seeing things differently, that I have things in my life, abilities and assets, treasures and talents that God has given me. And as we recognize those things, it moves our soul and gives us a heart of wanting to be grateful, of wanting to be thankful. The second characteristic of someone who is kind is compassion. This is Romans 12, 15 played out. The kind person rejoices with those who rejoice and weeps with those who weep. The kind person recognizes that the person they are envying or desire to envy is going through a battle and a struggle, but says, no, I'm not going to complain and I'm not going to compare. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to thank God for their success and I'm going to get with them in the valley and I'm going to weep with them when there are struggles, but I'm also going to praise and rejoice with them when they're on the mountain. The fourth one is instead of blindness and envy, we actually get clarity in kindness. This is eternal perspective. Yes, it's clarity in recognizing the other person is struggling, but it also gives us clarity that what is most important, what do we need to prioritize, what should be our number one? It's an eternal perspective. It's a fix your eyes on Jesus. There's a hymn. <laughs> I wasn't going to do this, so I'm going to do it. I don't care. We're, we're running late, so I apologize. I love you guys. This is just happening. There's a hymn, and every time I hear it, it just, it, it just gets me. And it's, this phrasing is, it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things 
of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. It's as we focus on Jesus, as I all of a sudden in kind, I get clarity on what's important. As it's, I'm gonna sing it, sorry guys. It's turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strange. Lead them in the light of his glory and grace. As we turn our eyes on Jesus, as we open them, we get clarity on what is important. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter what the earth has to offer. And then that clarity turns into exaltation. It turns in this joyful celebration of all things for all people because God is faithful. I'm no longer sad in my envy. I am joyous in my kindness. Are we kind? Do we have a supernatural, generous orientation of our hearts toward other people when they don't deserve it? and when we know they won't reciprocate it. But again, like every other vice and virtue, it's not enough, right? Just to say, okay, stop being envious, start being kind. The series is called Bridge to Becoming. So the bridge that is gonna get us to displace envy with kindness is this bridge of faith. Faith is that thing that is gonna help us live and push into being kind and tenderhearted towards one another, forgiving each other, as Christ has forgiven us. And here's what is meant by faith. Faith believes that God will supply what you need. Where envy believes there's a limited amount and that it won't be enough, faith focuses on God, envy focuses on others. Go back to the parable. Go back to Matthew 20. Look in verse 15. They're frustrated, right? They've compared, they thought, we've worked, the workers who were there all day, And most likely what is happening even during this time is there'd be a spot you could go to if you were a landowner, if you needed work done, that you can go, you could hire people every single day. So they'd go and and they hired these people. And and within that, there'd be people within that group who gets hired, they'd have reputation. You knew who the hard workers were and you knew who the lazy people were. So the hard workers, the the overachievers maybe, the the pushers and the movers and the shakers are the ones who are going to get hired right away. Because they knew they had this reputation, they're going to get work done. So they get hired. And all of a sudden, they're working and they're working. They know that they're, what they're going to pay. They already know the wage. So they already know what they're going to get paid. And all of a sudden, as they're working, other people start flowing in. All right, so they say, all right, landowner, obviously, need more help. Hired more people all throughout the day. And these people who work 12 hours, the overachievers, the hard workers, the one who've been there sweating, doing the hard stuff, saw in front of them the people who showed up two hours before and only there for a couple hours get paid what they were promised to get paid. So all of a sudden they start to compare. Oh man, if they're getting paid that, think of what we're going to get paid. <laughs> Let's go. Right? Excited. And all of a sudden they get to the landowner and he gives them one coin. And there's frustration. And they start complaining. 
and there's grumbling. And so then the landowner asks this in verse 15. He says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money or are you envious because I am generous? The workers were upset. Their thought process was, I've earned it. I'm owed. I was here before them. They compared and competed and then complained. They had a scarcity mindset. They thought they deserved more. And what they missed is that the landowner fulfilled the promise that he had made to them at the beginning of the day. The parable is not about how to run a business. It's not about what's equal or fair. It's about the reality that our God is a God who provides what he promises. He is faithful. I'm gonna have the team come up. I'm gonna go through real quick, what does it look like to push into faith? Four different things. Eh, yeah, sure, four different things. From Psalm 37. And right away, if we open up Psalm 37, it's insightful when it comes to understanding how we can bridge faith and push against envy. It opens up right away in verses one and two. It says, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. So it says, hey, don't be envious. You don't know the whole story. Remember, envy focuses on other people and desires what they have. So right here, the psalmist David is saying, hey, don't, God's telling him, don't fret. Don't be envious. Recognize that their time will come. It's going to end. It's not all going to be rainbows and butterflies. And what happens is that he turns right away then in verse 3 through 7, and actually throughout the whole psalm, is he tells us, okay, here's what faith does. Faith focuses on God and trusts in him. Verse 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. He says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Faith is about reliance on God's promises and his provision. Faith trusts in the Lord. Faith in trusting in the Lord says, I'm going to rely on him. I'm going to put my confidence in him. I'm going to trust that he's going to do what he promised. And as you read on through the psalm, he promises to guide us, to protect us, to provide for us. In verse 4, faith does this. Faith delights in the Lord. To delight in the Lord is to have complete satisfaction in Jesus. It's saying you are more than enough for me. And when you have that delight in the Lord, when you trust that he actually will be faithful in his promises and provision, the promise then comes right after. As you delight in him, it says this, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Because when we delight in the Lord, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus and we focus on his face and we realize how good and faithful he is, all of a sudden the priorities in our hearts start to change. All of a sudden how I once was selfish is starting to change to want to actually be less selfish. How I wanted to live for myself pursue the American dream, pursue my wants and my desires starts to change as I delight in him. All of a sudden, what I want now is what God desires and what God wants. I want to think now how God thinks to delight in the Lord. 
is to have complete satisfaction in Jesus. And then the promise comes and God's faithful to give us his promise. He will give you the desires of your heart. Some of you right now have desires in your heart that are of God. They are. But is your full delight in him? Is your full, complete satisfaction in him? Is he enough for you? Some of you have desires that are not of Jesus. And as you delight in him, as you move your complete satisfaction in Christ, that he would be more than enough. That as David said in Psalm 23, you shall not want anything but the shepherd. All of a sudden, your desires will start to change. And they'll line up with what God has for you in your life. Then he says in verse five, commit your ways. Decide that you're gonna do life God's way no matter how others are living or what's happening. And then verse seven, be still. He says, be still. Wait patiently. We wait patiently because his timing is not our timing. To be still is to entrust yourself to God because he has a plan. He knows what he's doing. To be still and wait patiently is to not whine or complain in the waiting And that's really hard because we see how others' lives are going. We see the seniors that are graduating and we should be graduating with them, but I freaking changed my major two years ago, so I have to go in a fifth year and all my friends are leaving. The seniors, maybe some of you are frustrated in the waiting, knowing that your time is actually coming to an end because something has happened in your time here. And you don't want to leave. But he says, take your delight in me. Trust me. Commit your ways to me. Be still. God says, I know what I'm doing. As people of faith who trust in a God of infinite supply, a God who cares for us, who is for us, as we trust that reality and his promises and that and his provision, we will be able to live and lead in kindness and not in envy. One of the most beautiful promises that we have and one that helps me actually be kind towards other because it's the one thing that makes me most grateful is that Acts tells us there is no other name in heaven or earth by which we are saved. It says his name is Jesus. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He says you will be saved. Saved from an eternity apart from the Father, the creator of the universe who loves you. Saved into a relationship now that God desires with us now. What a promise. And God's faithful to provide that. Never, ever, ever be unassured of where you stand with the Father. When you are in Jesus, you are forever his son or his daughter. There's gonna be some leaders in the back to pray with you if you need prayer for anything. Please do not be afraid. 
to go back and ask for prayer for anything. If you're struggling with something, something going on in your life, just go talk to them about it. They're there to listen. They're to hear. They're to be with you. And if you want prayer, great. They're there to pray for you as well. Precious Lord Jesus, we thank you for tonight. Father God, we thank you for who you are. How we long to delight in you instead of longing for comfort. Help us to commit our way to you. Help us to let go of the control freak inside of us. Forgive us when envy rears its ugly head and comes out. Teach us, how to re- teach us how to ultimately desire the things that you desire. Replace the dreams that we have of comfort, of complacency even, of, of prosperity for kingdom-minded dreams. Father God, we give you our fears. We give you the fears of when we're not on the right path because our path seems really hard right now. We give you our worry that you will not step in to provide and protect us in time. We surrender our anxiety of not understanding your way, your time, and your purpose. Help us be still to live your way one step at a time. Teach us to stop complaining. Remind us that others have struggles, even if we can't see them. Convict our hearts to pray for people rather than to envy them. Holy Spirit, produce a kindness that weeps with those who weep and rejoices with those who rejoice regardless of circumstances. Help us trust in your promises and your provision. In Jesus' name, amen.